Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune uh, is with us uh, uh, once again, uh, with of course the added benefit this week that the kids can listen in to uh, uh, and so discover all their parents' uh, <laughs> tricks. Here's your first question I have a gorgeous, bright, and funny 10 year old daughter. She does really well in school, has lots of friends, and is adored by her little sister and family members. The issue I want to raise with you is her self-esteem and how she treats herself. She would frequently hit or punch herself in frustration or pull her hair and say really mean things about herself, like, I'm a little baby and I'm so stupid. This can happen when she's very upset about something. And although I know she can do it in private as well, she is also quite open with me and tells me she does it. If I find a bruise on her leg and question it, she will honestly tell me that it's a bang from the table or it's the place she's been poking herself. I think she needs some help, but I don't know where to start. She's a young 10-year-old, so I would like her to work with someone with a background in play therapy. I think she would respond very well to that. I suspect we will go privately, as no doubt a public waiting list would be very long. Do you have any advice on how to choose the right person? What qualification should I be looking for? We're based in North Wicklow. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you're asking all the right questions and this is real finger on the pulse stuff. So I think that's great. And you've a little girl who's doing mostly well most of the time. You know, Mm. she's doing well at school and she has friends and she's loved and she knows she's loved. But she is also not, what I'm going to say is emotionally regulating. And what I mean by that is that when feelings get too big for her, she's not able to reduce them from a boil to a simmer Herself. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't expect children to be able to kind of, oh yeah, I've worked that through and processed it utterly alone, you know, but just to be yeah. able to take it from, I'm stupid, I'm a baby, from that down to, okay, this is a bit big for me and I know what to do with it. And at 10, we would expect to see a little bit more of that. Again, not that they've nailed all of that by 10, but a bit more. I think I've said before that typically we look at children under seven developmentally rather than chronologically. Um, You know, I note here you say she's a young 10 year old. That's Mm -hmm. what I mean. So it's not like seven and that's it. They really need an available parent, caregiver, adult in a caregiving role to co-regulate them because when feelings get big, they stay big until someone with you can say, hey, I got you Mm. and make it more manageable. By 10, she should technically be doing a little bit more of that on her own. And it just doesn't sound like she is. So I think you're on to the right track. A young 10 year old for me could emotionally be seven. So that would be fine. But you're looking at she needs something that is going to help her work that through, process it and give her some of those skills. Play based therapy. You're right. I think any therapy for a 10 year old should have a play based approach to it, be that psychotherapy, psychology or play therapy itself. We would all be using some kind of creative or play based methodology because play is the language of children. It yeah. is how they make sense of their experiences. You say you're based in North Wicklow straight away. There's play therapy Wicklow on your doorstep. Mm. Um, there's multiple practitioners in that practice. So you could go there. But what you're looking for is somebody who is not only trained, but certified and I think that can get confusing when you're looking okay. for a mental health practitioner. You're like, oh, well, this person, you know, they, they, they're trained. But are they trained and working up their clinical hours? Because after we train, we then do clinical or certification hours, accreditation hours. So you work usually at a lower rate, to be honest with you, but also under supervision just until you've clocked up usually around 400, 450 clinical hours. And then you go from being trained to accredited. So you're looking for someone who is an accredited play therapist and there are accrediting 
bodies. So look at anyone who is, it's not going to flinch when you ask them. They would expect to be asked that Mm. and they will be able to provide you with evidence of that certification. Okay. So those are the questions to ask. I think in the meantime, because look, you're right, public waiting lists are long and because she's doing mostly well most of the time. Even private is quite, can be long as well. That's exactly it. So you're not going to get somebody immediately. So I would get on a waiting list, get some kind of a gauge as to how long that might be. And if you're going, oh my goodness, it's nine months, 12 months, get on another waiting list as well and then see who comes up first and see how she's doing. In the meantime at home, because she's coming to you and she's saying, you know, I got this bruise on my leg because I kicked the table when I was frustrated with myself. First of all, it's great that she's bringing that to you. What you want is that she brings it to you before she hurts herself. Yeah. yeah. So you can use that kind of ACT approach I've mentioned before. So you acknowledge the feeling. I know you were really frustrated that this didn't work out. Your picture didn't work out the way you wanted it to or whatever it might be. And then communicate the limit. It's not okay to hurt yourself. You know, I want you to feel safe and be able to keep yourself safe. It's not okay to hurt yourself. And the T is target and alternative. The next time you feel like this, you can whatever it is, have a little frustration. Frustration seems to be the one mentioned here, a frustration box um, that could be, you know, that you've got um, cotton wool, you can wet it and she can throw it at the wall. It'll stick. It's just wet cotton wool. It's not going to cause any damage or anything, but it's, you know, she can throw, get that, you know, that sensation when you want to just throw something across Mm. the room. Yes, do, but throw this, not something that's going to break. If she wants to kick something, give her a balloon or a ball that she can kick around the garden, a balloon she can kick around the house, but she's getting that kicking sensation out in a way that's not hurting her and different things like that that would help her. So I think if you take that approach at home with her, it's going to be really helpful while you're waiting for her to be seen. But yeah, I would suggest, I think you're on the right track. I would bring her to see somebody. How does play therapy work? Actually, is it like they play for the first few sessions and then everyone's talking about their feelings or are you interpreting how they play? Yeah, I mean, look, be you a psychotherapist, you'll have if you're working with children, there'll be play based training and that or a full play therapist as well. What you're using is that the play is the means through which they're working through the feelings. So actually, they might not talk to you in a verbal way of wait, I tell you about the no good, very bad thing that's going on for me. But they work it through in the relationship. And there's something very therapeutic and transformative of having somebody bear witness to your process for you and reflect that back for you. So if you're the practitioner in that, it's not like you sit there in a chair, you know, stroking the chin, Freud (laughs) style and, and, you know, watch a child playing. You're in the play, but it is mostly child led. So Mm. you're following their cues and there are various types of different play that they will migrate towards, you know, that facilitate story play or sensory play or dress up. And they are working it through in the now. So play is the medium through which they work, not talking. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I I find when I'm doing play based work, particularly I do a play based work with parents and children together. I will often say to parents, you know, the talking about it might be the outcome of this intervention, but it's not our starting point. We're starting in a right here, right now. Where are you at today? That's what we're doing. And that's really where it goes with play. And it's really using play as a symbolic representation of things that are really difficult for kids to interweave with narrative. You know, to say, wait, I tell you how overwhelmed I am with life. They don't. They will do that in the little sand tray or they will do that in their art or they will do that in the play. Yeah. But, but can you put that play into a context? If 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 the parents have come along and said, our, you know, our, our child is, is particularly upset with one particular thing. Yeah. 
um, uh, can you kind of gently steer them into, you know... <laughs> gently steer them <laughs> with, yeah. with your agenda. Not with your agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but like, but so then would yeah. you, you know, like, if, say, they hated their teacher, for, sure. for instance, would you kind of then invent games that involve teachers? And, you might, and, but then you're yeah. doing something that's quite agenda-oriented. So yeah. I want to address this with you. So that's child-focused but adult-led play, mm. which has its role. It has its, but, but that's more directive than non-directive. Right, yeah. So it really depends on what the child is coming with. And what we would tend to do is, at least at the beginning, just wait and see what the child brings in. Because sometimes there's an issue that brings any of us, not just children, but any of us to a mental health professional. But when you sit down and you begin peeling the layers of the onion, you're actually saying, well, there's other issues that I wasn't even thinking about. So sometimes a child is referred for a particular reason, but what they bring up is something that maybe the parents weren't even aware was going on for them that was underpinning that say the overt behaviour yeah, that got them yeah. in the door, they're bringing you what was underpinning it. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, next question. I don't know if this is a problem or not. Uh, my <laughs> son is six and he's obsessed with breasts. He is at the stage where everything is hilarious and it's as if he's just realised that breasts aren't just for feeding. He's the eldest, so he can see me breastfeed our two youngest children over the last four years. He comments on them almost every time he sees them cartoons, pictures and storybooks, when he's doing his homework and there's an image of a woman, etc. Usually it's just, look, mammy, she has boobies, another banal remark. So it doesn't appear to be sexualized. My response is usually just, yes, she has breasts and move on. Now, he doesn't make any remarks in person to women, thank God. So we're fairly sure he knows he's not supposed to be doing it. But it's tiring and we're not sure why he cares so much since we never made a big deal out of body parts in our household. I thought I had raised my son to be more considered and not pass remarkable about people's bodies. Do I just ignore it and hope he stops? It's been going on for about three months now. I always think it's it's us parents who struggle with the body stuff when kids start pointing mm. out differences and a stranger walking up the street and you're like, oh, don't say that because yeah. we're embarrassed as adults. But actually, children learn through curiosity, especially at this age. You know, this is exactly how he learns. And what he's doing is he's noticing body differences. He does not have breasts. Yes. So yeah. that is immediately a body difference for him. And he's like, oh, it's not just my mom who has breasts. Mm. Other people do as well. And he's pointing that out. So I agree. There's nothing sexualized in Mm. this. You know, that's not what's going on for six year olds. It's curiosity. And they are fascinated about bodies. This is where, you know, children are most inclined to. I'll show you yours if you show me mine conversation Mm. with each other. And they're really just innately curious little beings. And also, you're right. Look, he has seen breasts a lot when you're breastfeeding throughout his life, actually, when you think about it, because he was breastfed and then watching his siblings being breastfed. So this has been a really open feature. And now he's not seeing them as much because you've stopped breastfeeding. But now he's naming when he observes other people with breasts. So actually, there's context to this Mm. as well. So I just think, yeah, don't make a big deal out of it. But I just don't know about this whole ignore it and it'll go away. I don't know that that works in general (laughs) with life. But with children, mm, I'm not sure. So maybe a conversation about bodies. He is six. So if you haven't, and it does sound like you've had something of a conversation with you, he says boobs and you say, yes, she has breasts. You're using anatomically correct language and you're naming this and you're not embarrassed by it. So I think extend your conversation about bodies, talking about private body parts and about differences between bodies and boundaries. And just say to him, you know, we don't point out who has that or we don't point and say, but if you have questions, you can always bring those 
to me or your mm. other parent or whoever it is in his yeah. attachment safety network, at yeah. whoever his caregivers but are. It could be, just be a fascination he has at the moment because he's noticed this difference Absolutely. and then in six months time, you know, it'll be something else. Absolutely. Yeah. And also watch your reaction when he says it because mm. he's definitely watching it. So yeah. if your eyes widen and you're like, <gasps> He's like, oh, interesting. Let me say that again and see, is it the same reaction? (laughs) So it could simply be that it's a phase. It's three months now. It's quite a while. Okay, that's going (laughs) on for a while. It is going on for a while. Because it often strikes me that, like, you know, the parents might be brilliant doing the poker face. But someone comes in for a cup of tea. 100%. Bang. You yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah. So, But I don't think he's doing this to consciously shock either. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like he's going for a shock. T- it just sounds like he's saying, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look. Mm. I think it's much more to do with him being suddenly aware that there are people other than mom who has breasts. Yeah. Because hers were just so normal for him. Yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah. now he's like, oh, wow, I never knew this. Yeah. Let me share this fascinating fact. So I would just put a boundary, gentle yet firm boundary on it, but don't make a big deal of it. Yeah. Uh, Now, this is an interesting one. My grandson is five years old. He's very sensitive. His father, my son-in-law, has quite a short temper. He shouts at my grandson a lot, even for minor episodes of bad behaviour. The shouting can be quite frightening. My grandson gets very upset and sometimes screams heart-rendingly in response there's no corporal punishment involved. I find these scenes distressing to witness and I'm wondering if I should intervene or is it not my place? My daughter does not agree with the shouting but is not able to prevent it. Oh, I mean, OK, I'm going to come at this fairly direct. Yeah. Like this is not OK. Yeah. And there are lots of things going on in this that are not okay. But ultimately shouting at a child, especially in this aggressive, repeated way, causes significant damage to children as they grow and develop. Mm. There's evidence for that. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. And especially when shouting at children is in, and I don't know if it does necessarily here, but involves hurtful or abusive language or words. So it's a little bit different than all parents out there take a breath at the moment because it's different from you saying at a loud voice, would you get out from under my feet? It is midterm after all. You know, you saying that, is not the same as an adult standing over you, a small child, and yelling at you with an angry, contorted face that's enraged and saying words that are hurtful and mean. The fact that an adult is writing this letter and saying the shouting can be frightening is a concern. Yeah. The grandson getting upset, but sometimes screaming heart-rendingly in response, that's distress. That's not upset. yeah, Yeah. That's actually a high distress signal. And that's really damaging and concerning. Now, what I would say to you is a couple of things. You're asking me if you should intervene or if it's not your place. I mean, you are a member of this family. This is your grandchild. You, it's your daughter who's living here. So I, I I don't think it's not your place, but I think that's for you to call. But I'm curious about how do you envisage intervening? You know, are you thinking he's going to listen to you and engage with you, given that his wife seems unable to achieve this with him? And I'm also curious why she doesn't feel she's able to prevent it or is she not being heard as well or what else might be going on? It is in the category of emotionally damaging behaviour. Um, if you don't feel you could intervene, but it's bothering you that much, you can also make a child welfare report by calling Tusla and asking to speak with a duty social worker and sharing your concerns. And they will advise you if this meets threshold, if they need to do something, you can do that. 
ideally, even even if you do bring this up or dad can be spoken to and he's like, yeah, I I lose my temper and I hate it and I'm filled with remorse and regret Mm, and I really mm. need help with this. Ideally, he would engage with a psychotherapist, a psychologist for anger management to help him work through what's going on there. Also attending a parenting program that would give more positive approaches to parenting in general, but particularly positive discipline. Although I don't know that this is discipline or just shouting and potentially relationship counselling too, but I might prioritise his own work and the parenting work before that. I'm wondering if there's repair, if he's when he's yelling at this little boy afterwards, does he come and say, I'm so sorry. Now, look, if you keep saying sorry and keep doing it, your apology is diluted, let's Mm. be honest. But I'm wondering about the repair because I'm not hearing that there because otherwise you have a small child who is in a high level of distress repeatedly and there isn't repair. It might reduce down a bit. Yeah. But there isn't that accountability, I guess is the word, and taking responsibility. And are there other children witnessing this as Mm. well? Or is this there's one child at the receiving end. I would take this quite seriously, whether or not you should be the one to speak, because what you're using in here in terms of it's quite frightening for you and you get upset by it, um, that you say you find these scenes distressing to witness. It's also happening in front of you. So if the Mm. dad is happy to behave like this in front of you, he is opening up to your feedback. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it in front of you. Yeah. That's uh, absolutely true. Now, whether he wants to hear about this or not, I don't but know. But this is serious. Yeah. It is damaging. And yeah. take it very seriously because that child is going to suffer and is suffering yeah. under that. Would be One gets a sense as a family dynamic here, not that's just... That's actually how it sounds. What's going on that here. is, yeah. I mean, I know that's not explicitly stated, but I, I would infer the same, that there is something deeper and that also your daughter is struggling to manage this. So... You're, the little boy is not the only one struggling. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that's the case. Uh, going back to the question we had just before that, I was changing after swimming one day. This little kid pointed at me and said at the top of their voice, Mammy, I can see that lady's boobies. The mother was mortified. I thought it was funny, uh, says Adrienne. Someone else says, my sister's three-year-old said to his mum when she undressed, Mom, I didn't know you had buttons on your tits. <laughs> <laughs> It's from me jumper. You can't help but laugh then. <laughs> Joanne, thanks a million. Thank That's you ever, so much. Uh, Joanne, a fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.